0: you're listening to the co-main event podcast and now your hosts Ben folks and chad dundas that's right you're listening to another episode of the double main event podcast i don't know i'm just trying it out seeing how it seems feels good i like it I'm your co-host from BleacherReport.com, Chad Dunnison. Joining me, as always, from MMA Junkie in USA Today, it's your friend and mine, Mr. Ben Folks. Ben, a lot of just crazy, uh, almost inexplicable mixed martial arts action from this weekend.
1: Also known as just another weekend covering the sport of mixed martial arts. I'm almost inclined to say, you know what? We'll never be
0: able to describe it. Let's just just end the show here. Put it up on the internet, 43 seconds long. We'll just call it a week. What do you think?
1: I mean, it'll go along with our rebranding of ourselves as the Double Main Event Podcast. Maybe that's just what the Double Main Event Podcast does.
0: Double Main Event Podcast just out here looking like a bunch of guys trying to get paychecks? Is that what I mean, you're trying
1: to say? I'm, I feel like this is the rebranding we needed. Now the money's just going to roll in. Don't even have to do anything. How about this? T-shirts. We get T-shirts made up where – you know how you have like those T-shirts where it looks like you're wearing a tuxedo? Oh, I'm familiar with a tuxedo t-shirt. Who you think you're talking to? <laughs> okay, obviously. Okay, this one, though, looks like you're wearing a bikini with two enormous breasts, okay. and it just says double main event.
0: I think that'd be a big seller. I think we could probably just retire on the basis of that... Big Boob Bikini Double Main Event Podcast T-Shirt.
1: I'm going to the mall today as soon as we wrap, start spending this money.
0: I assume that this is one of those T-shirts that also hangs down to your knees so that you can have the bikini bottom
1: on there as well. Yeah. Well, And you want to wear it as a night shirt.
0: Well, I think that goes without saying. Ain't nobody wearing their Double Main Event Podcast shirts out in public. (laughs) Wearing that shit at home. Right. Uh, so anyway, Ben, on a slightly more serious note, a lot of stuff happened this past weekend and makes my, actually, it's not more serious at all. I don't even know why I said that. <laughs> uh, we had the Bellator pay-per-view, uh, Bellator 180 and Bellator NYC, which both happened on the same night and were the same event, but had two different names.
1: Not confusing at all.
0: Uh, and then we had UFC Fight Night 112 on Sunday night from Oklahoma City where, uh, Michael Chiesa and Kevin Lee finally did the damn thing in the main event. So this episode of the Co-Main Event podcast is going to be, uh, I almost want to say it's going to go down pride style because we're going to have three rounds. But in the first round, we're going to try to cover a lot of ground about the, the actual action inside the cage, uh, at Bellator NYC. Okay. And maybe a little Bellator 182. I don't know. We'll see how crazy we get. Uh, so that round could end up being twice as long as the other two
1: and we'll get visibly gassed during it yes okay
0: exactly and then we'll uh talk a little bit about maybe the uh the 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 symbolism of bellator nyc what it means for uh scott coker moving forward And, and then uh we'll close out the show talking about uh fight night from oklahoma city
1: that's the point where i'll just uh soccer kick you right through the ropes. Yes. we'll get it all on ref cam.
0: If if we're doing this pride rules, I would assume you would, would already have been given a yellow card for stalling.
1: (laughs) Okay. Fair enough.
0: We got music again this week from our colleague in the MMA media, Eric Fontanez. You can find his writing over at Bloodyelbow.com. And if you like what you hear, you can find more of his music at soundcloud.com slash Eric Fontenaz, which makes sense. Yes, it does. We got three rounds as I just described as usual, sort of this week. In the co-main event podcast. In round number one, just like everyone was expecting, we'll have a lengthy and in-depth discussion about Zach Freeman, ben Brent Primus. We're saying Primus now? Is that I really what wish doing? we wouldn't. You want to say Primus? Just go with Primus? Even if it's wrong? It feels good, doesn't it? It does. I mean, it feels much better than premise. I'll give you. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. We'll have an in-depth discussion about Zach Freeman, Brent Primus and Heather Hardy. And in round number two, so Bellator NYC was a kind of a crazy disaster. And now that the hangover is lifted, we reckon with what it'll, whether it'll turn out to be good or bad for Scott Coker and his MMA roster that he pieced together from spare parts, like one of those cars from Mad Max Fury road. And in round number three, with its sweet outfits, copious mom jokes, Uh, In immediate rematches and bad refereeing, is it possible that Michael Chiesa and Kevin Lee have created the perfect MMA feud? All that, plus are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff? But first, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail.
1: Listener mail.
0: I'm reading out of the opposite eye that I normally read out of.
1: Do you feel like you were able to make that adjustment?
0: It's going a little rough so far. Because I always have this big-ass mic in front of half of my face. Right. So I'm reading basically with one eye. And now it's the, it's the opposite eye.
1: And this is because, just so listeners know, we're recording at my house since Chad's house is rife with sick children, or so I'm told.
0: Your wife is walking <laughs> through the kitchen as we speak.
1: There she is. <laughs> you can hear her back there.
0: Uh, what are we doing? Listener mail. First question this week comes to us from Doug Delaney. He writes, Hey guys, not sure exactly what we were expecting from this Ryan Bader, Phil Davis rematch, but it turned out to be the MMA version of watching paint dry. That got me thinking about the Bellator roster. While we all agree that Mr. Excitement, Scotty Coker has done a good job scooping up a few solid free agents. Is it also possible that all those spare parts don't fit together to make too many actually entertaining matchups, or is just a, this a one-time drawback uh to a, solid overall future strategy
1: i think maybe the the last one because what did we really expect was going to happen between ryan bader and phil davis like i mean the i think jimmy smith summed it up at the end of the fight uh where immediately after it was over his comment was unfortunately looked a lot like the first fight if you can say that then it probably tells you that maybe this pairing is this specific pairing is the problem that it's not like you just have them keep fighting over and over again. And sooner or later, they're just through the law of averages going to turn out to have a crackerjack.
0: Yeah. I was going to say, we already had some anecdotal evidence about what Phil Davis versus Ryan Bader might look like uh, from the first fight. And then they went out uh, and kind of did the whole thing all over again, which, which uh, is one of those fights there where it's like, I'm not going to say it's terrible, but it's also like, two wrestlers out there largely exchanging somewhat uh infrequent punches every now and then and it's, so it's one of those uh it's one of those fights where it's almost like their strengths cancel each other out and so they have to uh go with a strategy that they're not necessarily that that adept at and uh at the end of it it's almost like you could flip a coin uh as to who's who's going to win and yeah. and obviously Ryan Bader walks away with the Bellator light heavyweight championship via split decision and yet the fight was so terrible, and the first fight was so terrible, it kind of sucks for Phil Davis to lose his 205-pound title via split decision. And under those normal circumstances, you might say, let's run it back. Let's Please, do it again.
1: let's not run right it back. Right now,
0: ain't nobody wants to see Ryan Bader, or Phil Davis, three.
1: Run it anywhere but back. That is my request.
0: So that, I mean, in my opinion, that brings up kind of an interesting uh, dilemma now for Bellator because... Either Ryan Bader or Phil Davis is kind of a cool guy for if you're Bellator to have as your light heavyweight champion, don't you think? Sure. But uh, now what do you do with Ryan Bader? Like well, where where does he go from here? Well, see,
1: this I think is the the question kind of embedded in, in Doug Delaney's question here. Um because if you're Bellator, you've scooped up some UFC I don't want to say cast-offs because that implies too much negativity in some of the circumstances, but you know, scooped up some guys that the UFC wasn't interested enough in keeping for one reason or another. And Phil Davis and Ryan Bader are both in the same kind of category of that. Uh, in that, you know, the USC probably felt like it knew what they were capable of. It had seen them do what they were going to do. And it didn't really need to spend the money to keep them. Um, because what are you really... It's not like they're going to be champions for you anytime soon. And they're not huge draws. So let them go on and, and live life life elsewhere. And... When you have those guys as your few, relatively few serious contenders in Bellator, you look at the guys where they're not there just on name value, they're not there just to do something weird, they're there as serious fighters who are actually good. If you have a bunch of those guys that all kind of fit that same mold, then it, it is hard to make something out of a division that just has those guys in it. Putting those guys, you know, it's one thing if they're going to have awesome, crazy fights. But if they're not, I, you know, you got to find something else for them to do. It can't just be those kinds of guys against each other over and over again. Uh, you have to find, like, a different kind of selling point to bring in there opposite them.
0: Yeah, and uh, with Bellator, obviously, the lines between those two camps are almost unbelievably distinct, right? On one side of the line, you've got guys like Ryan Bader, Phil Davis, uh, maybe Michael Chandler, although he's a little bit more of a of a— of a face, I guess you could say for Bellator. And on the other side of the line, you've got Chael and Vanderlei Silva, Fedor Emelianenko up until very recently, Tito Ortiz, uh, Quentin Jackson, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, Bellator, at least to me has developed this weird thing where it's like, they have some good fighters, but those good fighters aren't their draws. Like their, their draws are obviously uh, these like aging former stars that are, Winding down the twilight of their career, collecting paychecks and having somewhat easy fights against each other, uh, which I don't know if it's that 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 is that enviable of a position to be in if you're Bellator. Uh, and is another thing that that uh, makes me interested to find out what the estimated buy rate is going to be for Bellator NYC. I know we'll talk about that a little bit more in round two, but at the same time, like uh, at the end of the day, if dudes like Chael Son and Vanderlei Silva aren't giving you much better than 100,000 pay-per-view buys. I have to ask, is it worth it? And can you just like, if you if you threw Ryan Bader out there in a light heavyweight title defense against Liam McGeary or somebody like that, would you do a whole hell of a lot worse?
1: Yeah, well, I guess and that depends also like what you see as your end game as Bellator. Um, you know, I think I saw an email earlier today from uh, the, the Bellator Viacom people uh, saying that their their ratings for the the, the main event of Bellator 180, which this Phil Davis Ryan Bader one was, you know, before they went to pay-per-view, um, was like 1.1 million viewers, which, you know, if you do that on like as your regular run-of-the-mill Spike show, uh, that's good news for you as Bellator. That's like a, about as good as you usually hope for. I mean, that's about what you were hoping to do with Fedor and Matt Matreon back when that one was, uh, slated for Spike TV. So, if you can do that uh, with this event, you know, obviously you had the promise of like a uh, pay-per-views coming up next. But if people were only there because they cared about, you know, Fedor and Chael Sonnen and Vanderlei Silva, then I guess there's no reason for them to watch the Bellator 180 portion. You still did a pretty solid number. I mean, maybe it's the goal is that stuff like this just gradually helps to build up the brand to where Bellator is just a thing people watch every week.
0: Next question this week comes to us from Eric Murphy, who writes, BarbarianHorde.net must have crashed Sunday night when Tim Boach head-kicked the momentum out of Johnny Hendricks' middleweight run. Uh Boach looked sharp and got a finish. If you were his career counselor, how would you take him to the next level? He's getting a little long in the tooth, and I can't believe uh, that he would be okay with the title of gatekeeper. Uh, who should he start some beef with? So, yeah, Ben. Your uh, guy.
1: This is your guy, Tim Boach. Tim Boach goes
0: out there and gets a second-round TKO Via head kick over Johnny Hendricks, who uh, missed weight at middleweight for this co-main event fight for UFC Fight Night 112. Weighed in at uh, 188 pounds, or just shy of 188
1: pounds. And looked jiggly as fuck once he got in the cage. Did you like see that, could, man? He
0: looked like he could have lost those three extra pounds, maybe. I don't know. Like It brings up a whole conversation about Johnny Hendricks that uh, we've maybe had over and over again already and could probably continue to have. But it's not going to surprise anyone, I don't think at this point, Ben, if I admit that one of the ways that you can almost instantaneously become one of my guys is if it kind of doesn't seem like you should be in the UFC, and yet you continually win these fights, but in an awesome way. And that's kind of a dude that Tim Boach is. Like I tweeted on Sunday night, he goes out there looking like he's going to have a fist fight in a turn-of-the-century lumber camp. Uh, and and just kind of keeps winning. Would watch, by yeah. The way. Hashtag would watch. Winning more fights than he loses, uh, and I think that that's awesome. And yet at the same time, I don't know what the ultimate ceiling is for Tim Boach. I don't think he doesn't strike me as a dude that's suddenly going to jump up there uh, and be champion.
1: Well, yeah, and you've seen him when he gets up against the higher echelon guys in the division, guys like Jacare and Luke Rockhold. It's not particularly competitive against those guys. Uh, does Tim Boach beat Michael Bisping? Right now, wow, that's a
0: that's a hell of a question right there. And one, if you're Mike Bisping, that you might not want to spend a lot of time considering. Or <laughs> well, I don't know, maybe one that you would want to spend a lot of time uh, considering. Uh, let's just say that would be a, a fight that I would be interested in seeing. I mean,
1: you need to get uh, Barbarian Horde dot net on a brand new server for that happens.
0: Once the uh, once the the fan. Uh, comment message boards get fired up on this idea; it'll take on a momentum that the UFC simply can't ignore. <laughs> That's right.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know exactly what you want to do with Tim boach He didn't exactly help anybody, help his case by calling anybody out or anything. He did the old "anybody the UFC wants to bring me" kind of thing. um But it seems like if you're the UFC and you're looking at what Tim Boach is good for. Uh, He's kind of a good guy to have, I guess, for plugging holes and to just throw in there. He's somebody tough uh, that is going to show up when he says he's going to show up and then give you a fight. But I don't see the UFC really sitting back and going, you know what? We want to be in the Tim Boach business, especially all the, the high flying action going on at middleweight right now. I would think like if I were his career counselor and I could just tell him anything, I'd tell him to to try to look for something a little off the beaten path. Uh something fun, something wacky even. Um but I don't see Tim Boats necessarily accepting that advice.
0: It feels like a lifetime ago that Johnny Hendricks was on the short list to be one of the like top pound for pound fighters in the world if not, you know, just flat out the best. Uh, welterweight in the world when he beat robbie lawler at ufc 171 uh, for the vacant welterweight title and i feel like we also lump in the ufc 167 loss to george st pierre as like a uh, like a pinnacle performance of johnny Hendricks's career because he came out there and put it on gsp in a way that uh, almost no one had up to that point and a lot of people think he should have walked away with that decision uh, at this point though he is two and five, counting the eventual split decision loss to Robbie Lawler at UFC 181. And like we said, just missed weight at middleweight, uh, in his second middleweight fight in the UFC for this one against Tim Boach. Uh, and did you notice, now like, this is a subtle thing, but I, I noticed it on the broadcast. You know, when they go to commercial and they do the like coming up next yeah. and they show the two guys shadow boxing in their locker rooms, did you notice that like on Johnny Hendricks' side of the screen, he kept throwing like two punches? and then stopping and, like, looking off camera. And it seemed like someone <laughs> off camera kept being like, no, no, keep going. And, like, he would throw a couple more punches and then stop and look off camera. It just seemed like Johnny Hendricks was really having a hard time getting cranked up to be there. And all of these things put together make me wonder, what's going on with the big rig?
1: Yeah. I think that's a reasonable question to ask right now. Um, yeah. he d- When you turn around and miss weight at middleweight, when you know... The the book on you out there is already kind of unforgiving in that department. It it does seem like maybe there's a motivation issue going on with Johnny Hendricks, like some kind of issue, whatever it is, right? Well, I, I mean. It's not like he can't weigh 185 pounds, 186 pounds. We know he can. We've seen him, we've seen him uh, come close to that for some of his welterweight fights. So, Ohio, I see what you did there. We know that it is possible. So what is going on there where he's just kind of deciding, you know what? Nope. Can't do it. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's still for me, this ongoing unraveling of Johnny Hendricks is the, I think the most precipitous decline that I can recall for an MMA fighter.
0: It's honestly like kind of fascinating. Like, I don't know that he would ever tell you, but I would love to find out what, like what's really, what's really going on inside the mind. And, and maybe even in the life of Johnny Hendrix. like who knows what's actually happening over there. But it it is, as you said, a precipitous decline. And at this point, like a guy who had just, like 33 years old. So it's not like he's passed his athletic prime really by any stretch of the imagination, who just like seems like he's barely, and in some cases not even, going through the motions. Yeah. Next question this week comes from Lee Woodmancy. Woodmancy. Lee, Woodmancy.
1: Keeper for uh,
0: Manchester City? Maybe. I don't know. Did you Google that one? No. Okay, I'm not even bothering here. He writes, Men, as the ghost of BJ Penn entered his contest against Mini Ivan Drago, I wanted to be hopeful about what the possible outcome would be, but then I saw it. Was your boy's fight kid, kit on Inside Out? I mean, <laughs> at least tuck in the drawstring guy. Uh, I guess those not quite right shorts were just emblematic of what kind of performance we should have expected uh, from the former prodigy, Discuss.
1: Okay, I was wondering, what, I did not even realize that his shorts were on Inside Out until I saw it pointed out on Twitter. And I thought, is BJ Penn doing that on purpose is like a statement against Reebok and the whole sponsor environment now? Or did he just like get dressed in the dark and run out there to fight in a cage.
0: It has to be a statement, right? I mean either that or or Reebok accidentally printed out a a a, a pair of Jessica Penne shorts, right, and tried to give it to BJ Penn and and he was like this is not me. <laughs> I mean like BJ Penn doesn't look great in his fights, but we believe that he still has the mental aptitude to know when his shorts are on inside out. So I, and like BJ Penn is a smart is a smart guy, all all things considered. He's not going to go up there with his shorts on inside out by accident. Okay. And like uh, I joked on Twitter, maybe he had rally shorts, you know, like when it, in a baseball game when you turn <laughs> he, your he cap inside out. He started with rally shorts? Yeah. I mean, right? the, well, he came in 0-4.
1: Career if he's going to
0: start a rally, that shit better happen right now <laughs> okay. against
1: Dennis Seaver. Well, and I don't think at first he didn't look awful against Dennis Seaver. I was a little depressed even before it got depressing because you just see him out there with Dennis Seaver in a fairly even contest in the first round, and they're kind of like, oh, boy. So this is what it's come to, huh? You
0: remember the BJ Penn that by all rights should kill Dennis Seaver and then lick the blood off his gloves. Well,
1: and that he and Dennis Seaver are kind of contemporaries, so it's not like you know it was when he fought Yair Rodriguez or something where – like, he and Dennis Seaver, like, if you go back and look at what Dennis Seaver was up to in, like, 2009, 2010, uh, 2008, back when and BJ Penn's kind of lightweight heyday, if you had said, all right, Dennis Seaver versus BJ Penn for the title, people would have been like, oh, come on, why do you hate Dennis Seaver so much? Why why would you do that to the poor son of a bitch? Uh, and now, to see him in there, and they're, at, at first anyway, kind of even going back and forth it was in a way like almost sadder than seeing him get trucked by Yair Rodriguez. Cause you're like, he just looks so normal. He just looks so like regular guy, uh, for the UFC anyway. Uh, and then, you know, he has that, that brief flash, uh, in the second round where he drops Dennis Seaver jumps on him. Looks like he, he might finish him. And then when it seems like he's not going to finish him, just kind of goes, all right, we'll ride out the round here. Uh, we'll just kind of hang out on top and, uh, and then when you come out for the third round, Dennis Seaver's ready to work, and BJ Penn has nothing left for him at that point in the third round. Uh, that's when it started to get really depressing, because you're just watching BJ Penn still you know, tough as shit when it comes to absorbing punishment, getting kicked in the legs, getting kicked up beside his head, uh, Dennis Seaver popping his head back with that jab, and you know he's going to stand there and take it until somebody stops him, uh, which actually is like the big-picture, most worrisome thing about what's happening with BJ Penn.
0: Yeah, and in that moment when he drops Dennis Seaver with the uppercut and goes to the ground with his ground-and-pound, even if you weren't a BJ Penn fan, I got to think that everyone, and I mean everyone watching this thing at home, with the exception of maybe like Dennis Seaver's family, was like, Get him, B- get it, BJ. Let's do this. And then it looks like maybe we're going to see the vaunted BJ Penn ground skills for the first time since he tapped out Kenny Florian in 2009. And then ultimately we're left with the worst parts of the old BJ Penn in that third round where it's like BJ Penn has never had great cardio. That was always kind of his thing. He's run out of gas. But now he doesn't even have the, the prodigy style uh skills and athleticism to compensate for that early in the fight. So this is a tough one to see DJ Penn go out there with his shorts on inside out and drop one to Dennis Seaver.
1: Well, and you see him in that third round and the commentary is like, well, maybe he's just saving it up, saving it up for one big push in the final couple minutes, which seems in retrospect, like hopeful, like wishful thinking, basically, because he gets he spends the first three minutes getting beat on. Then like it's not like that is going to help your cardio. It's not like you're going to get kicked in the legs uh, and punched in the face so many times that you get rejuvenated by the end of the round and ready to come with something. He just seemed happy to survive there at the end. Uh, I mean, I, I just – I really wish I knew what he was telling himself when he goes back to the locker room after a fight like that because if you're if you're there just because you want the extra paycheck, you don't want to quit fighting yet, you just – you want this as your lifestyle for a little while longer – What do you tell yourself that is supposed to come next after Dennis Seaver? After, you know, you've got a decreasing quality of competition and you're still not winning any fights. What are you hoping for the next time around? And if you were telling yourself that you were going to really make a late career push and you were going to challenge for the title or something and it was going to be some great comeback story, you know, after this many losses in a row, even like the most delusional fighter would have to abandon that idea, Right.
0: Yeah, and did you see those tweets from Ariel Helwani yesterday during the broadcast where he basically said, like, BJ Penn feels lost without fighting. He tried to retire and he didn't really know what to do. Uh, He feels, like, physically healthier when he's training for a fight. It kind of, like... And BJ Penn is the sort of guy that we had, that, or at least I had thought all along during his career would be the kind of guy who would be able to do something after fighting. Like he comes from a, a well-known, fairly influential family in Hawaii. Uh, you gotta think that there's some connections there. Like I said, he's a smart guy. He seems to understand, uh, media. He seems to, uh, understand how to play the game a little bit. Like it's, I I would think that BJ Penn would be able to find a career for himself after, after fighting, but it just doesn't seem like it's worked out like that. Uh, and now, at least according to these tweets from, from uh, Ariel, like he kind of doesn't know what to do with himself if he's not fighting, which is is uh, in, in one way I think completely understandable. If you're a guy who's basically been doing this since you were 19 uh, and on the other hand, like kind of sad.
1: That is kind of sad. Um, somebody needs to help him find something to do if that's the case because yeah. that is not a good enough reason to keep getting in there and keep taking these ass weapons because uh, there's – there is a bill that's going to come due for all that stuff. You you just can't keep doing that indefinitely without something terrible happening to you eventually. You know, if he has people that care about him and and family love him and stuff, help him discover a new interest. Maybe I mean, maybe you and and BJ start a sandwich shop or something. Pen subs. Pen subs. Work on that. Work BJ, on that title. BJ's
0: BJ sandwiches. Uh, don't
1: don't feel like you need to be married to that title.
0: Speaking of something horrible, do we want to do this last question that's on here?
1: Sure, sure.
0: This one comes from Perry Pendry, who writes, Gentlemen, a terrible, terrible thing happened to Justine Kish this weekend, but at least she had the proverbial balls to go on Twitter and own it after. Can she get past this in-the-cage shitting incident, and also losing to Felice Herrig, and have some kind of fruitful career moving forward, or is she basically a strawweight version of Tim Sylvia now?
1: You know... Her reaction to it, I think, is what's going to save her here because – you see her her Twitter reaction? I did. Uh, Where she – she didn't do the thing where you try to pretend that it didn't happen at all. She admitted that it happened, had kind of a sense of humor about it, Uh, hashtag shit happens, Uh, and did the I'm a warrior and I never quit thing, which usually when fighters do that uh, after a loss, I'm just kind of like, okay. That's that's one from the cliche toolbox. But in this case, I kind of buy it because, man, if I had poop in my pants, Chad, if I had pooped my pants during an athletic competition, I'm tapping immediately <laughs> to get out of there because I'm not trying to roll around out there with poop in my pants. No, nobody is. That's just, I mean, it's kind of outrageous. And yes, it is. And to be willing to keep, you know, she's stuck in that choke. That would have been an easy enough out if she wanted it. Uh to be willing and eager to keep going after that and just think like, you know what? We'll deal with this this poop situation later on. We'll deal with that in the back. Um, that, I now I believe that you will never quit. I kind of buy it.
0: On the non-pooping end of things, mm-hmm. uh, she came into this fight undefeated, 6-0, and right? She's 29 years old. Uh, she had been 2-0 in the UFC leading up to this fight against Felice Herrig, although she missed weight for her previous fight against Ashley Yoder. So I don't think like one loss slash pants pooping incident necessarily dooms Justine Kish to be the lady who pooped her pants for the rest of his, her career. And if anything, like you can kind of look at Felice Herrig a little bit and say like, you know, give these people some time just because you come into the UFC at 29 years old, uh, doesn't mean that that's your, what you look like as a finished product. So, uh, Justine Kish probably carries on as a strawweight in the UFC, I would think. And, uh, if she wins a few more fights, unfortunately, that, that shitting incident is always going to be on the internet,
1: as we've learned. Right, but give it six months and something weirder slash grosser is going to happen If in this MMA. weekend
0: would prove proved anything at all, that's probably the right thing to take away from it. Yeah, that.
1: don't worry about it.
0: That's going to do it for listener mail this week. If you have questions or comments that you would like to air to the co event podcast in future weeks, you know how to do it. You go to the website, co and click the link in the top right hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. While you're there, you can check out the Breakfast of Champions newsletter. It comes out every Friday morning to catch you up on the news and notes that we miss all the days that we're not recording the podcast. Stuff always breaks. News always happens. Pants always get pooped in. always it's short it's informative we would like to think it's funny if you don't like it it's really easy to unsubscribe as for right now though we're gonna go ahead and get started with round number one Ben, even though we mocked them for it earlier in the show, maybe it was actually appropriate that Bellator went out and gave this particular Saturday night event two different names, uh, which were actually one single event. Because even a couple of days later, as I reflect on this, a lot of stuff happened at this Bellator event. And I guess we want to spend this round talking about as much of it as we can. Uh, I want to talk about Heather Hardy's women's flyweight victory over Alice Yager. I want to talk about, uh, Zach Freeman beating Aaron Pico, Brent Primus, Primus, Promus, Prometheus.
1: Sure. Brent, Zach Primus. Prome- Brent, Brent Prometheus, Brent Prometheus,
0: uh, getting that weird win over Michael Chandler. Matt Mitrio knocks out Fedor Emelianenko, Chael Sonnen beats Vanderlei Silva. Where do you want to start, in our discussion here, Ben, what is the most interesting thing to you some 48 hours removed from this card?
1: I found myself as I was sitting there after you left my house. You came for, for a little context, for background for everybody. You and your family came over, had a lovely barbecue at my house. We played on the slip and slide in the backyard. Uh, then the kids all, all went to bed. We watched, uh, this Bellator pay per view and, until deep, deep into the night. Yeah, until we thought we were going to go ahead and get it over with. And they were like, and now Neiman Gracie. And we were like, what are you doing to us? Um, but, you know, we, we had some M&M cookies that got us through. And at the end, I'm sitting there in the dark of my living room going, so what did I just pay for? What did I just drop 50 bones for? Because I, I felt like I was entertained. For most of this. Yeah. Uh yeah. I, I felt I I didn't feel like, man, that was a ripoff. Uh I wish I had done something else with my Saturday. I felt like that was an event worth seeing in a way. For sure. And yet most of that, like ninety percent of that, was on just the deep weirdness of everything. Even in like the one of the legit bouts, the the Brent Prometheus. Uh, versus Michael Chandler there for the lightweight title. That's supposed to be like one of the two that you can count on to be a serious fight, uh, between guys who are actually relevant in their respective divisions. And then they go out there and Michael Chandler's foot turns into an empty sock and he's still going hard, still trying to knock Brent Primus out and he's, coming close to doing it.
0: He's yelling at Brent Primus, hit it. Pick my injured leg.
1: <laughs> he's a, he's a shit eating wild man, as you would say, Chad uh and I'm into it, and then it gets all MMA'd up when uh you know, it gets the exact brand of weirdness we're used to in this sport because they stop the fight to take a look at it, but you can't really stop uh, a fight to take a look at an injury like that without ending the fight. Uh then somebody yanks the goddamn stool out from underneath him as he stands up to try to demonstrate that his, his foot is okay and that he can use it. And then when he goes to sit back down on it, the stool's not there anymore. It's some real slapstick shit. And it seems like the referee uses that in a way to be like, okay, that proves that he can't even stand. Uh, (laughs) He doesn't even know if there's a stool in the room anymore. Um, He got just pranked so hard. We're going to call this one off, which is like the right call for all the wrong reasons. It's stuff like that where it's kind of just aggressively forcing me not to take it too seriously.
0: Well, let's start there then with uh, Brent Primus versus Michael Chandler. In my opinion, despite the fact that that gif of Michael Chandler falling on his backside is going to live forever on the internet in a Justine Kish kind of way, I feel like Michael Chandler comes out of this thing looking like a million bucks, despite the ankle injury and the loss of his title. Like the simple shit-eating wild man, absolute crazy person attitude that he displayed in the cage during the fight, and then while he's sitting on the stool as his ankle is turning into pieces of confetti at the bottom of his body, and he is yelling at the referee and at the uh, commission members and doctors, I'm good, I can go all night. I feel like I kind of fell in love all over again with Michael Chandler during this debacle. Yeah, crazy
1: and, Michael Chandler is a good Michael Chandler.
0: And there, uh, he obviously has to rematch with Brent Primus. There's nothing else to do besides that. And I will watch that. And I will probably in my brain's heart root for Michael Chandler and think that Michael Chandler is awesome. So in my opinion, at the end of the day, even though this was a complete disaster for Michael Chandler, I I don't know. He kind of came out of it looking
1: awesome. Should that fight have been stopped? We've seen this kind of weird. I I think Jamie Varner had the same kind of thing where. Like he rolled over on his ankle or something and then he couldn't really put weight on it and they let it keep going. And it's uncomfortable to watch because it keeps happening over and over again. Uh, but is that a reason to stop a fight? Like, I mean it's like the, similar to when a guy just gets the shit kicked out of his leg to where he can't really stand on it that well. As long as he's willing to keep trying to stand on it and to keep keep throwing and keep being a, an active member of that fight. He's intelligently defending himself. Is it right to stop a guy just because his foot keeps giving out on him?
0: See, it's a gray area, right? And it brings up this conversation that we always end up having about referees who are in there, uh, at least in theory, for the for to concern themselves with fighter safety more than anything else. It probably gets us into a, a discussion that we'll have later in the show about Mario Yamasaki and his early stoppage in in uh, Kevin Lee versus Michael Chiesa, but. I really honestly feel like it's kind of a judgment thing, man, and that's why you need to have the human referee in there because my gut reaction is to These say... cyborg
1: referees just aren't getting it done. What yeah, you can't have
0: the computer referee in there. The AI just isn't to the point yet that we can trust Michael Chandler's foot with it. But, like, my gut reaction is no, you shouldn't stop it if Michael Chandler can go and he feels like he's doing okay and he's not in uh, physical uh, dire straits, you should let it go. But at the same time, if we're concerned with fighter safety some dudes and i think we have a lot of evidence now to suggest that michael chandler is one of these dudes are just too tough for their own good and like you need to step in and be like bro michael chandler your foot is no longer attached to your body we're going to we're going to have to you can come back and live to walk another day i guess right
1: well i mean then where do you stop on that slippery slope a guy breaks his hand are we going to stop it you know if a guy, uh, his, he twists his knee getting up and his knee is a little compromised, uh, do we, if we see him limp a little bit, do we say, okay, we're worried about that. We're going to stop it before anything bad happens. It seems like until we get that AI referee with some X ray vision in there, uh, you know, in between the time when, like, it, the, that technology becomes good enough but before it comes self-aware and uh, takes over and, and enslaves lets us all. fight to the death. <laughs> yes. <laughs> enslaves us all to fight for the entertainment of the computers. Uh it's going to be really hard to start making those calls.
0: Yeah. And that's one thats one of the reasons why mixed martial arts are so difficult to, like, both officiate and come up with a rule set that works because so there's so many instances like this Michael Chandler fight that, that is, is just a gray area. And it's like you need a trusted person in there to be able to make the call one way or the other. And it can't – like, because of the situation you just described, like, are you going to stop fights because of a broken hand – it almost can't be like a hard and fast rule. It has to be sort of like a, a a case by case basis, which is the best we can do right now, I think.
1: Well, and I, I saw some reports from live on the scene in Madison Square Garden uh, that suggested that after this outcome to this fight, Scott Coker is walking around looking, you know, a little bit dismayed at having one of the two title fights end this way. The other one, uh, in the words of Roy McDonald, uh, underwhelming between uh douglas lima and lorenz larkin i think that was fairly accurate on uh the part of the red king uh but then you had this one that ends all weird and everything i can understand how scott coker might be walking around afterwards feeling like god damn it why does this have to happen in one of our serious fights and yet this does for me like as a viewer kind of contribute to the fun crazy carnival atmosphere of a bellator event you know if it And any weird stuff can always happen no matter how serious the matchup is. The UFC has had plenty of weird nights, just that when you do a pay-per-view on average once a month, it kind of gets lost in the shuffle and you move on and, you know, you have a normal night after that and we all kind of forget about it. But this one, you know, you have a few different weird things that happen. Maybe this is a good opportunity to transition to some of those other weird things. Like, for instance, after that weird ending, then you have Matt Mitrione and Fedor Emelianenko with the rarely seen double knockdown. Yes, And that's when you start to feel like, okay, the MMA gods are having themselves a good time in yeah. New York City tonight. Whatever Bellator
0: did to piss off the MMA gods, it was significant because they made they made some mock here of what we were doing. And clearly, yeah, Matt Mitrione and Fedor Emelianenko seemed to come millimeters from the rare double knockout, which would have been entirely fitting if that's how this thing had ended, considering how the rest of the card went. Uh, but Matt Mitrion, who later uh, describes this exchange during his post-fight interview completely accurately and kind of completely hilariously, looks up and sees, oh, shit, Fedor also got knocked down. And then I think he <laughs> said something like, I'm about to get this cat or something like that. <laughs> Jumps on there, pounds out Fedor Emelianenko in a minute and 14 seconds. Uh, uh, it says KO on the official results, but I actually think that's a TKO. No, he
1: was out. Right? He was out there for a second.
0: Well, yeah, but like if the ref steps in to stop it like that, I think it's a, it's a fish. Never mind. <sighs> what do we think about The Last Emperor now? Are we done? Because Chael Sonnen calls him out after the uh, main event, victory over Vanderlei Silva. And if you're Fedor Emelianenko, you don't feel like going out with the bitter taste of a loss to Matt Matrion Mitrion. Chael Sonnen might
1: look kind of appetizing, right? He might. He might for a fact. Uh... <laughs> I was reminded of really what we're in the Fedor business for these days, watching this fight, especially because for one thing, I want to say Bellator's uh, in arena production, uh, especially for this one, pretty awesome. Pretty honestly. awesome. We'll talk about that in round two. Yeah, I, I mean, and I felt it as Fedor is walking out, and you, you, re- you realize, okay, yeah, no, this is part of what I paid for, and if I didn't realize it, it was to hear weird Russian singing as Fedor comes walking out with like a, a rugged wooden cross around his neck, uh, doing his usual Fedor thing. That's kind of what I'm paying for is to to And that's what a lot of the live attendees were no doubt paying for is to just kind of experience that whole Fedor thing again, even if he's not the same guy he was anymore. And could Bellator convince me with a, a even weirder matchup like Fedor versus Chael Sonnen? Um, Fedor versus Vanderlei Silva, something like that. Could they convince me to give it one more go? Yeah, yeah, they probably could. I, I mean, maybe it's not a a pay per view, uh, bout again, but maybe it's a a tent pole on Spike TV kind of thing. But yeah, I, I mean, if you if you're willing to get weird enough with it, I'll sit through that again.
0: Well, let's talk about Chael Sonnen versus Vanderlei Silva then, because that kind of dovetails with this Fedor inko discussion. Ben, I would say in a night where. Chaos absolutely reigned all over Madison Square Garden in this uh, uh, Bellator NYC pay-per-view. The main event between Chael Sonnen and Vanderlei Silva proved that they are exactly who we thought they were and who they both have been for years and years now. Chael Sonnen, he's going to run his shtick, right? And Bellator has created that intro for Chael Sonnen, which treads almost too close to like a professional wrestling style uh, mouth of the South gimmick than I am personally comfortable with, with and that is saying a lot, because yeah, I am... You're
1: comfortable with a lot of that, I am shit.
0: comfortable with a lot of that. But anyway, Chael's going to do that. He's going to talk, he's going to come out there, and he's going to have good takedowns, and that's about it. Silva is going to be the exact opposite. He's going to come out there and throw hillbilly haymakers like a crazed fool, and at least in this fight, display zero takedown defense. And then at the end, when he shoves Chael Sonnen on his way out of the ring, kind of displays that just like maybe we thought Vanderlei Silva's not exactly hip to the game of what's happening here, right? Like Vanderlei Silva was not in this thing in the same way Chael Sonnen was in it, right? To like sell pay-per-views and and uh, have a few yucks. Like Vanderlei Silva, <laughs> Silva
1: is serious about this shit. Well, I, I wrote about this a little bit beforehand, and I think that's why Chael Sonnen's uh, one-man war on the nation of Brazil works as a gimmick. Because – just in general, most Brazilian fighters, they don't play that way. They don't play the way Chell Sonnen plays. Uh, they they don't really get that joke. And they are, it seems like, more likely to take that super seriously and to just respond with like, sheer rage at all of the usual Chell Sonnen gimmicks, which is exactly what he wants. Like, that's what he needs to make that gimmick work. If you come back at him with the same gimmick... It's not really that fun, you know. He he needs to be the only one doing that. Uh, so yeah, I kind of everybody doing like we thought they would do, as you mentioned. But for me, this is the one where Chael Sonnen, especially before and after, it really got into self-parody. Yeah. To the point where it was kind of sad to see, especially like, yeah. when he gets up there on the little screen beforehand. Is like when you're the best fighter in the world, I got a name for you. And you're like, oh, man, we're still doing this. And then afterwards when he's doing the I hate New York thing yeah. during the post-fight And they didn't even really bite into it. They are just kind of like, okay, I see what you're doing.
0: That And frankly, in the like pre-fight interview where he did, did the weird thing about being in prison. Right? Yeah. And then Bellator like circled back with the highlight piece to kind of let us know that it was a joke at the end of it where he's like, I'm a genius. I just thought of that. Just like kind of – it's almost like the chale thing has run its course. But he's still, he's still doing it.
1: I mean you could still work it a little more believably if you were still a relevant fighter uh, in any division. But when you're just kind of clear, – you're clearly just trying to stick around and collect a few more paychecks and you're calling out Fedor afterward. Like we all saw Fedor just get knocked out and you're like, OK, that's the one I want. That kind of tells us what you're doing here.
0: And yet, like, Chael Sonnen comes away from this Vanderlei Silva fight looking like he's not going to beat anybody that he can't take down, right? Because it was dicey on the feet for him from start to finish in this Silva fight. Even though Fedor gets knocked out by Matt Mitrione, and he's clearly not the Fedor who beat Mirko Krokop and beat Roddy Nog twice, he's still dangerous. Like, he still dropped Matt Mitrione at the same time that Mitrione dropped him and the the only real pertinent question about this matchup if it happened is could Chael Sonnen take Fedor down.
1: Well, and it's not just could he take Fedor down, but could he take Fedor down for 3 rounds and hold him there? Because Chael Sonnen as we saw in this fight, not a whole lot of a finisher uh in the ground game. So, you're not he's not like he's going to take Fedor down and then probably submit him uh when he has him there. So, you're going to have to be there for a while with Fedor and start on your feet at the beginning of every round. That's a lot of just built-in danger for Chael Sonnen right now. And yet at the same time, and I hate myself for saying it, I'd watch it. Yeah, you would. Yeah, you would, because you're a sick son of a bitch. I know. I hate it.
0: Uh, By process of elimination, even though this women's flyweight fight between Heather Hardy and Alice Yager was maybe not the most skilled display all the way through, does Heather Hardy emerge from this thing as, like, one of the people that did the best for herself? Like, because considering, like... What happened to Aaron Pico, what happened to Michael Chandler, what happened to Fedor, and then kind of a a tepid thing between Chael Sonnen and Vanderlei Silva. I kind of walk away from this being like, hey, Heather Hardy, like maybe Bellator could do something with her.
1: Yeah, no, I think this is going to be an interesting test to see what Bellator can do uh, because all the pieces are there that you would want for a, a, a talented female fighter for you to kind of cash in on having your own homegrown MMA talent there. Because clearly her, her boxing background, she's got some some striking skills, a little raw in some areas, but really like an in, in infectious enthusiasm that makes her likable uh, in interviews and the kind of thing that she feels like she's kind of inviting people along on the journey. So they want her to succeed uh, and, and a style that's going to lend itself to some exciting fights. This matchmaking seems to suggest that Bellator kind of knew okay let's let's put her in a fight that uh is going to play a little bit to her strengths and that that she can win she gets bloodied up though and still looks good and 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 finishes it at the very end i mean it's it's yours to screw up now if you're bellator because she has exactly all the things you would say that somebody needs uh if they're going to get going with their own you know women's mma star but i don't know i mean you do face the problem of Most of the real talent in women's MMA is split between the UFC and Invicta, and the relationship between UFC and Invicta means that you're going to have a hard time going over there and poaching some talent. Um, So you got to ask yourself where the the fighters to to help this along are going to come from.
0: You want to do, are you fucking kidding me, or is there anything else you want to talk about, about Bellator 180 slash NYC? Um. I mean, Aaron Pico laid an egg. We didn't really talk about that, but...
1: How about though Zach Freeman rolling in there without a Wikipedia page?
0: Zach Freeman acted pretty awesome about this thing, but then maybe, like, kind of in an off-putting way afterward. Like, it seemed like he couldn't quite let it go, how much he had been disrespected as the guy who came in, clearly, to lose to Aaron Pico. But uh the email that he sent SureDog.com that Jordan Breen posted on Twitter after the victory. Yes. where It was like Zach Freeman was both writing sure to complain that he at this stage in his career still did not have a photo on his fight finder page. And also to say, after I beat Aaron Pico this weekend, you will be sorry that you crossed me kind of a thing. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, and he did kind of react to the, the win as if like he, he really went full shock the world with it where it was like, Okay, I mean, it's it's a surprise. It's a mild surprise, but it's not like you dethroned the champ out there.
0: No, he beat a guy in his pro debut, Aaron Pico. Obviously a guy that the MMA community had been waiting to have his pro debut for what seems like forever now. We've been hearing about Aaron Pico for a long time, and then he goes out and loses in 24 seconds. Uh, hard to imagine it going much worse for him, but... You know, brass tacks. It is a twenty-year-old kid that's never fought before, and Zach Freeman comes into this thing like eight and two or something like that. So, uh, maybe with the benefit of hindsight, a it doesn't necessarily look like as big of an upset as the odds made it out to be, and b like you're saying, like you didn't win this, you did not in fact just win the Super Bowl.
1: Really? Okay. Well, can he still go to Disneyland? Does he have the money? Does he have the Disney bucks? (laughs) I mean, I think it's kind of expensive these days, actually.
0: You want to do Are You Fucking Kidding Me? Let's do Are You Fucking Kidding Me. All right, Ben, me? what's your Are You Fucking Kidding Me for this week?
1: Well, Chad, you know, I, I'm watching the aftermath of UFC Fight Night 112, uh, and I was watching Felice Herrig's uh, post-fight comments after her fight with, with Justine Kish. She clearly got very emotional after the win, and she was unhappy with the degree to which the the UFC is promoting her, it seems, and said that it seems like she's just not young or beautiful enough uh, for the UFC to want her to, pro- to promote her and that it's frustrating to see all the work that she's put in and the UFC is more interested in pushing fighters who, who have not yet done that. Now, I'm conflicted about this, are you fucking kidding me? But I must say, does anybody else remember when Felice Herrick was on the other end of that? Because Felice Herrick now is a better fighter than she has ever been at any point in her career. And yet... I can remember a time when she was not that great of a fighter and it was, you know, her willingness to kind of sell the other angle, uh, posing in, you know, all kinds of like magazine layouts and, and things like that to really get fans interested in her. Uh, and that kind of bought her the time and the, the relevancy to then grow into this good fighter. So kind of are you fucking kidding me for not recognizing the irony there it seems like you were criticizing the UFC for helping other fighters do what you yourself did um, just because you are not doing it now or feel like you can't do it now and the funny part is now you're actually really good are you fucking kidding me maybe we should just focus on that
0: you fucking kidding me Ben how awesome is the Brazilian national anthem are you fucking kidding me (laughs) Not what I was expecting, I got to say. No, after years of watching mixed martial arts, the Brazilian National Anthem is not what you would expect, I don't think. Uh, and aside from the fact that as our mutual homie, Leg Kick TKO pointed out on Twitter, that like the Brazilian National Anthem is sort of like a concise musical explanation of colonialism.
1: <laughs> aside okay, from that, Aside
0: from that, it's pretty awesome because this thing sounds like Danny Kay is about to do a tap dance on top of an upturned boat. It's like some kind right? of Sousa
1: March kind of yeah, thing. Yeah,
0: it's like a bunch of love, lovable human-like animals are going to be playing instruments and marching a parade down Main Street. That's what the Brazilian National Anthem sounds like, not like Vanderlei Silva is about to go out there and murder someone. Yeah,
1: see, I always thought it was Sandstorm.
0: Right, yes, yeah. Are you fucking kidding me? You're fucking kidding me. Anyway, that's going to do it for round number one. We'll be right back with round number two.
1: I think we've covered the actual in the cage action at Bellator. Now let's talk a little bit about the big picture here, because what we saw is Bellator taking another shot at pay-per-view. Like we, like I mentioned in in the first round, some legitimately good production values. We wondered beforehand how Bellator was going to make us feel like we were watching a pay-per-view and not just another uh, weekend event on Spike TV. And there were moments in this one where I gotta say I felt it. I felt it a little it felt like a big deal uh, had a, had a nice visual presentation uh, having Mike Goldberg at the desk and Moro Ronaldo uh, cage side works better than I thought it would and yet I do wonder if Bellator cracked the hold 100,000 buy mark and if it did, I probably got to think it wasn't by a ton. Is this a real win for Bellator?
0: Yeah, a lot of it depends on that buy rate, right? Which at this point, I feel like if you come in above the 100,000 buys that Bellator 120 did back in 2014, uh, when I believe it headlined a show from Mississippi with uh, Muhammad Lawal versus Rampage Jackson, which by comparison makes Bellator NYC seem like a much, much bigger deal for Bellator. Since you're at Madison Square Garden, you got three titles on the line. You got this kind of star-studded affair. Uh, if Bellator NYC comes in anywhere above a hundred thousand, and I mean one ten, I feel like you gotta be happy. If it comes in below that, it's gonna seem like kind of a failure. And yet, I feel like the sort of madcap nature of this event could turn out to be kind of a good thing for Bellator, depending on how you spin it, because at least coming out of this thing. You've got a lot of preset storylines that you didn't necessarily know that you were going to get if you're Bellator. And take Michael Chandler for an example. If Michael Chandler goes out there and whoops up on Brent Primus, great. But what do you do with him the next day? At this rate, at least now, you got to have a rematch between Brent Primus and Michael Chandler that I personally, as an MMA fan, feel interested in. And you can put it, it could be a Spike TV main event, and I will probably find it on my television dial and watch it. And I think that happened, you know, in several ways.
1: Yeah, I you're definitely right about that because especially you can already script out how that the hype for that rematch is going to go, which is going to be Brent Primus being like I broke that man's ankle and defeated him and Michael Chandler uh like steam coming out of his ears at the very thought of that. Uh but I guess I wonder if the question is if Bellator does this again will you buy it again? Uh and then you kind of get back to the question of what you're buying, because I agree the madcap nature of it is kind of fun. We've talked before about what does Bellator have to do to set itself apart from the UFC so that it doesn't just feel like UFC light, uh, using, you know, old recycled parts of the UFC to do a kind of crappier version for around the same price on pay-per-view. That's not going to work. Could it be that the appeal of Bellator is you're going to want to watch it because everyone's going to be talking about it in, you know, not necessarily always unified praise, but a bunch of crazy shit is going to happen that you're going to want to be there for because all the whole MMA community is going to be buzzing about it afterwards and you're going to want to be a part of that. Like kind of like we mentioned in the Breakfast of Champions that at least part of the reason you're watching this is because you want to go lol bellator on twitter along with all your friends. And some of this crazy shit makes it seem like if you can make that part of your thing, either like with matchmaking or just MMA being MMA, is that a reliable way to get people to keep tuning in? Because, man, if Bellator is having a a tentpole event or a pay-per-view or something, you know shit's going to get buck wild.
0: Yeah, I feel like it really depends on the card. And, like, from a production value standpoint, I feel like all of the stuff that Bellator did here really did a good job of making this feel not like a UFC pay per view, despite the fact that Mike Goldberg was there. It seemed to me like you put him on that fight desk. It seemed like maybe Mike Goldberg himself was a little bit reinvigorated by having a change of scenery, being in some, you know, being back, but being. Uh, present for a different company, kind of like made him seem a little bit refreshed. I think it's a better role for him there, despite the fact that uh having Brendan Schaub and Josh Thompson have to continually explain why all of these Bellator stars losing was actually a good thing. Like that got <laughs> right. kind of awkward after a while. But I really liked those there's a kind of like desk interplay and the having Maro Ronaldo call the fights made them all seem like kind of substantive big deal stuff, even when they were going haywire. And so that makes me feel interested in the future of Bellator pay-per-view from that standpoint, and from, like, an actual in-the-cage standpoint, it's really going to depend on what fights they book, because if nothing else, I feel like Chael Sonnen versus Vanderlei Silva, and even Matt Mitrion versus Fedor Emelianenko, at least me personally, made me feel maybe the culmination of a long-term creeping sense that we have reached the end of the viability of this strategy, almost, right? like. You see Chaos Sonnen and Vanderlei Silva go out there looking every bit like two 40 year old dudes that are just looking to cash the check. I'm not that interested in that, despite what they bring, you know, to the table prior to the bell. So like, you gotta give me something. You gotta give me Michael Chandler. You gotta give me, uh, Douglas Lima, maybe. You gotta give me, I hate to say Ryan Bader, but you gotta give me Ryan Bader. <laughs> uh, you gotta give me like a legitimate mixed martial arts card and like, you know, And if you want to throw Fedor versus Chael Sonnen on there and maybe it's not the main event, okay. I w- I'm going to be okay with that.
1: Okay, with, but that's really what they're doing here. I mean, yeah, you can make the case that Chael Sonnen versus Vanderlei Silva is weird as the main event to this one because why is that fight more important than any of the rest of these? But, you know, you got two title fights and you got two old-timer nostalgia value fights. So that's kind of even. Uh, and then the other two fights on the card, you got uh what you're hoping is gonna be your your kind of coming out party for a, a blue chip prospect of your own, um which doesn't go the way you thought it would. um and then you have the one where you just you're gonna throw a Gracie on there from the New York City Gracie school uh, and he's gonna get some of his friends to come out and buy tickets, plus hey, maybe you can work with a Gracie if he turns out to be really good. Um, I think that that's a very deliberate. Style of matchmaking for Bellator here because you're thinking like you're you're splitting it up kind of evenly, you know, two fights to kind of think about of building a potential future, two fights between uh, legitimate people who matter in their divisions, you know, title fights that are real fights, uh, and then two kind of wacky get some people in the door fights. Right,
0: and even though this one was completely unexpected and and crazy and how all of the fights played out. But it couldn't possibly be like that every time.
1: Could it? Well, <laughs> well I mean, some of that is just going to be like the weirdness that is inherent in this sport. But some of it definitely was, I think, related to matchmaking. Uh, like you get Chael Sonnen and Vanderlei Silva in there. You're pushing this grudge match angle the entire time. Vanderlei shoves him before the, you know, during the, the press conference stare down before the event, which amounts to like 70% of the entire marketing uh, that Bellator even did for this whole fight card, and then shoves him on his way out of the cage, that's kind of a result of the match you made there. Like, right, that's yeah, not absolutely. just like a weird accident happening like in the Brent Primus-Michael Chandler fight. You know, Matt Mitrione and Fedor Milianko also kind of a result of who you put in the cage and what you know that they can do. So it's not entirely just weird stuff that can happen to anybody. Some of it happened to you because of the decisions that you made. Um one of the things, though, we, we talked about this beforehand about the lack of promotion that Bellator did for this one. right? And even, like, leading right up to we were thinking, okay, maybe fight week, it really ramps up. I don't feel like it really did ramp up.
0: No, it didn't. And I feel like that's yet another reason why the buy rate for this thing is going to be interesting. Because, like we talked about months ago, after the Tito Chael fight, I was like, give me Tito versus Vanderlei. That will be an insane build, if nothing else. Right? Like and then it just didn't happen. So I'm I am interested to see what uh what this did on pay-per-view. What kind of numbers this did because it did get some like it got good press from ESPN, it got coverage on ESPN. Uh and so yeah, it's going to be interesting to see if it if it uh made a dent at all. Let me uh let me fantasy book the next Bellator pay-per-view. Oh,
1: by all means. And then
0: you can tell me if you would buy it. Okay. All right. Let's say your main event is Douglas Lima versus Rory McDonald. Okay. For the welterweight title, and then you got the rematch between Brent Primus and Michael Chandler.
1: Wait, one thing I need to know about uh, Roy McDonald Douglas Lima is Roy McDonald playing games? He ain't playing no games. Okay, he's All right. done playing games. That's so I, get, I don't know what games he previously played, but okay.
0: I'm just going to give you a four fight card. Okay. So you got those two title fights. those Wait, that's your double well, main event.
1: The other one was the Chandler Primus Chandler rematch. Chandler
0: Primus rematch. Then you got Chael versus Fedor. Okay. And your curtain jerker is mvp against paul daly i mean would you buy that for 50 bucks yeah
1: i'm buying that so there
0: you go that's your answer right if you bellator puts on that kind of card you're gonna you're gonna do it i'm gonna do it that's gonna do it for round number two we'll be right back with round number three And for a fight that previous to that on-stage shoving match that Kevin Lee and Michael Chiesa had didn't seem like it had anything going for it as a main event there's a surprisingly rich amount of stuff to talk about here as we exit UFC Fight Night 112 and its main event uh where Kevin Lee ultimately beats Michael Kiesa by Rear Naked Choke. But let's start with the stoppage just because obviously there's a lot of headlines being made about that. Uh, referee Mario Yamasaki goes out there in his leather pants. Uh, kind of looking, in my mind, like we all looked at the end of Bellator NYC. Like
1: maybe he didn't get a lot of sleep. Smelling like Axe body spray.
0: Hair hair all a tumble. and he, Mouth
1: he, tastes like fireball.
0: He calls off this Michael Kiesa, Kevin Lee fight. While Kiesa is stuck in a deep guillotine choke, rear naked, rear choke. naked choke. I'm sorry. Uh, first round, uh, at the tail end of the first round by Kevin Lee. Kiesa does not tap and passes the what the fuck test after the stoppage. Is able to get up on one knee and quite literally say, "What the fuck? Did you have a problem with the stoppage? Yes or no?"
1: Not really. I I think there's room a little bit if you want to to criticize Mario Yamasaki, especially because the nature of that choke. There's not a whole lot of danger to letting Kiesa stay in it uh an extra second or two just to make sure that he is out. Uh you know, you can grab his hand and do the thing that they do to try to test whether he's reacting or or try to verbally confirm that that he's unconscious before you step in there and stop it. But I don't really blame him for making that decision in that moment based on everything that was happening. You know, it's it's a deep choke, he's under the chin. Kiesa is fighting the hands at first and then stops and his hands just kind of float out in front of him and they're not really doing anything, but they're still moving. That looks very much like the posture of a man who has just lost consciousness. Yeah. Uh and if he's saying like, you know, I saw his description of it afterwards where he was saying, Oh, I was trying to look on the screen and kind of see where his hands were, um and you know, get a little space for my neck and then get my my back to the floor and work out of it. And you know, fine. Maybe that is like the, an actual like defense that he was trying for. But when you, when you stop defending the choke, uh, like you stop doing anything visible to defend the choke and your hands are just kind of laying out there in front of you. You do look like you're out at that point. I, I can't blame Mario Yamasaki for making that decision. And I, I also don't think, you know, you you got 30 seconds left before the end of the round. It's not like you're just going to stay in that one and tough it out. You know, I, I don't have a huge problem with that stoppage. I was, frankly, a little bit surprised at the level of outrage people had over it.
0: Yeah, and I think that's like MMA Twitter. We're just sitting around waiting for our referee's decision to make us outraged or, like, one judge to get it wrong so we can send a bunch of emails being like, can you believe the one judge had it 30-26? Unbelievable. Uh, I agree with you. And if anything, you could have let Michael Chiesa hang around in there for another couple of seconds. It looked to me... For all the world, like if he was not unconscious, he was about to be in the next, you know, couple of moments. But at the same time, if you're Mario Yamasaki and Michael Chiesa gets choked unconscious and you sit there for two seconds and you're like, is he out? Is he really out? People are going to blast you for the same thing and be like, where's the ref at?
1: Could have stopped that one a few seconds earlier. Right, and we have seen refs get criticized for letting somebody stay in a choke for too long. And, you know, granted, some chokes are going to be more dangerous than others when it comes to stuff like You know, if it's like a, a, a choke that's crushing your your trachea, uh, then, yeah, a, a few extra seconds being left in it, that could, that could make all the difference. A, kind of a blood choke like that with the rear naked choke, not quite so dangerous, um but it it also makes me think of kind of the intelligent defense question, right? Like when you stop doing anything with your hands to defend that choke and your hands are just kinda of sitting there, you can't be that surprised when the referee thinks that you've given up on this fight and that, you know, either consciously or unconsciously, you're you're out of it. Yeah, I mean, I can understand you're still gonna be pissed off if you're Kiesa, uh and you're gonna feel like you're owed a rematch. But as an outside observer, I don't feel like I need to see that rematch.
0: I was just going to ask you whether or not they, you you think that they need to run this one back. Kevin Lee wants to fight someone at, in, in Detroit where he's from, and Michael Chiesa has thrown his hat in there already to say that he wants that rematch. I'm going to come out and say if you are the UFC, this one might be one you just kind of want to move on from for a number of reasons. To me, the most glaring of which is... Kevin Lee seems like a dude you might be able to work with. Yeah. He's this, what is he, 24 years old, something like that? He's won five fights in a row now at Lightweight, which is obviously the uh, the most competitive division in the UFC. He's got four stoppages in a row, and now this one over officially the number six ranked Lightweight in the world and in Michael Chiesa. Uh, he's willing to come to the press conference dressed like Daniel LaRussa's understudy from Karate <laughs> nice. Kid. He's obviously going to talk some shit. He looks terrific getting off the bus uh and then he, he's going out there and stopping people so if if i'm the ufc and my prime directive from WMEIMG at this point is to find people that we can make stars out of i'm feeling like we take kevin lee and and we just don't look back on this one
1: right yeah because the whole the rivalry built out of the most innocuous your mom comment ever can only get us so far, and I think it has gotten us. Everywhere it's going to get us, especially since you look in the crowd at the end, and Michael Kiesick is a shout out to his mom. His mama really did have chick tickets. Chad is a statement of fact. I mean, unless you're mad that, like, oh well, how dare you suggest that my mom would get tickets on the presale or something like that? She's a Fight Club member and would get, you know, get them as soon as they're available. Like, no, she's going to wait until the last minute where she can get them off StubHub and the price goes down. No. Your mom was there. That's what we were mad about this whole time? Statement of fact? Yeah. I mean, that's not, you're not going to get us all the way to Detroit just on that alone. No, he wants Nurmagomedov.
0: Would you, is that too big of a jump? Because, like, I would accept that right now. I would accept it too. Considering the layoff that Habib Nurmagomedov has been on and, and the, the momentum that Kevin Lee has established, I feel like that would be a pretty, a pretty damn good fight.
1: Can you get Nurmagomedov to accept that fight? Who knows? He seems like he has a sight set much higher.
0: That's true. That's true. So maybe it would just be a non-starter. But uh, if you can get it done, it seems like a heck of a matchup at 155 pounds. Uh, how about Chiesa? American male Chiesa coming out in the Italian uh, fight kit before this, which, as far as I'm concerned, is like the ultimate Spokane guy move. Right? <laughs> Why is that a Spokane guy move? Just being like real proud of your Italian heritage, like so much so that That's as a Spokane a, move in your eyes, as a, well, just being proud of like whatever your.
1: Trying to open a weed dispensary, which he's also trying to do, that's a Spokane move.
0: Maybe we're just, what we can agree upon is that Michael Chiesa is a totally Spokane dude.
1: Maybe we go to Spokane for different reasons.
0: <laughs> it's possible. It's possible. I can more normally go for the Italian-American heritage. <laughs> okay. So, there you are. Uh, You want to do Just Saying stuff? Might as well. And then we'll get out of here for this week, Ben. This week, I'm just saying, why am I totally not surprised that Tito Ortiz has made such an elegant transition from professional fighter to cage-side heckler? (laughs) I thought we were done with this, man. I thought Tito was going to walk away and, and enjoy his life outside of the cage. Next thing you know, you turn around, and he is... Not only heckling Chael Sonnen, but getting up on his chair to flip the double bird to everyone in New York City at Madison Square Garden. Now you got these rumors percolating. Chuck Liddell, Tito Ortiz, going to do it again, brother, in the Bellator cage. I'm just saying. I thought this dude was retired. This guy literally just retired.
1: I'm just saying you should have known better. Is that really what you thought? I'm just
0: saying that's a fair point.
1: <laughs> well, Chad, this week, I'm just saying... uh On the post-fight show on Fox Sports, uh, Kevin Lee talking with the the esteemed panel about his win. And they do the thing where they just kind of like go down the row of fighters uh, who are on the show for that week. And they all ask him some kind of question. And he gets into it a little bit with Tony Ferguson, who seems like he's trying to get under Kevin Lee's skin a little bit by asking him about getting DDT'd when he slammed Michael Chiesa. Uh, Kevin Lee doesn't really appreciate that. The next thing you know, they're kind of going back and forth. And Kevin Lee asks, can we put a real journalist on? So this week, I'm just saying, man, what show did you think you were on? Because this is state-run TV. The answer to that question, by the way, is no. No, we cannot put a real journalist on. I'm just saying.
0: Just saying. Well, that's going to do it for this week's co-main event podcast. No event next week for us to look ahead to, but... I'm pretty sure we'll figure out some stuff to talk about when we return next Monday. Uh, as for right now, though, we are done. We are through. We are out.
1: So you want me to get the slip and slide back out so you can hit it up before you, you head home? I feel
0: like our listeners need to know that during the barbecue at your house, you ripped off your T-shirt and went down that slip and slide head first, balls to the wall, like a true shit-eating wild man. Yeah. And I was sitting up here, Looking, watching you out the window, thinking to myself, if I tried to do that, one of my shoulders would
1: completely separate from my body. Top the to top, take the, rise. Well, you you take get, the ride. Get wet grass all over your back. How's the pile of trash can?